0: Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 56, week 56, volume 56, number fucking 56. How on going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is none other than Frankie from Amua and that will be coming up later in the show. So I thought I'd start things off with a little bit of feedback and questions. And we were talking this week with Joshua over Facebook. Thank you, dude, for always supporting us and getting in touch. And Joshua and I were talking about some upcoming guests, some ideas. There was the mention of 50 Lions, Periphery, Ghost Inside, Dreg, Reactions, Crystal Lake. Just a few to mention there. And Joshua, I've got to really appreciate the fact that you got in touch and you also gave us some ideas. A few of those we hadn't thought about, but we're in the process of hunting them down. Joshua also helped us out. Absolute legend that he is with a recommendation on our Facebook page. He gave us five stars and Joshua said, great podcast with heavy acts that allows the guest to talk about music and life in general. The host takes feedback seriously and with honesty. If you like heavy music, do yourself a favor and check it out. Joshua, much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Fucking legend. Thank you for the very kind words and thank you for the excellent recommendation on Facebook. Apart from that, there was not very much feedback or questions. We got a lot of people saying they really enjoyed the interview and chat with Matt from Kublai Khan. Thank you to everyone that checked out the episode. Now's that time of the show where I need to say we really would appreciate and love to make this show not only about us but about you. So to do that, write into us, send us an email, send us a message on social media, get in touch and let's grow this show more into a community. So that means if you've got some feedback about shows or about guests or about content, get in touch. If you've got questions you want answered on air get in touch whatever you want to do you can get in touch through the email address which is themoshzone at gmail.com you can get in touch through the social medias you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter all of those are at the Mosh Zone, or you can get in touch through the website which is www.themoshzone.com the other thing we need to mention at the start of the show is ratings reviews and recommendations they're invaluable to helping the show grow now we don't get paid for ratings and reviews and recommendations but what it does is it works together to get our show out to more listeners so if you've got a few moments today or this week not only spread the word with your friends and family about the show but get on your service that might be itunes it might be spotify it might be soundcloud wherever it is subscribe to it Leave us a rating, one to five, whatever it is, and then leave us a review. Tell us how good we are, tell us how much we suck. Whatever it is, write us a review. Now, recommendations, they're done through Facebook. If you go on our Facebook page, you will see a spot there that says, would you recommend this page? Simply, if you've got a moment this week, write a recommendation and give us a rating out of five as well. All of this, guys, is invaluable to helping us grow and become a bigger and better podcast. So enough of my ramblings, let's get on to the part of the show that you're all tuned in for. This week I got to sit down and chat with Frankie from Amua, and i got to say he was such a nice dude, such a great dude, and it was a lot of fun to get to know more about Frankie. I find it quite interesting as you hear in this chat that the man is depicted in a very negative hateful light throughout the metal media and metal community and i don't think that's right i think he's a little bit misunderstood but also any publicity is good publicity but thank you frankie for taking time out for me and the mosh zone really really appreciate it it was a great chance to have an extended chat after i got to speak to frankie back when i was on radio great insight into the man his passions and the discography of Amua over the years Thank you again, Frankie. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. That chat with Frankie is coming up now. I always start off with kind of, it doesn't have to be a heavy band, but do you kind of remember how you discovered music was a thing? Was it you heard a song by a certain band and then you went, oh, there's this thing called music. I'm into it.
1: Well, I I was, I guess, very blessed to have a, grown up in a house that was filled with music my parents were um very much listening to like country music and like old like um like uh doo-wop groups from the 50s and stuff and then um my sister uh was into like paula abdul and uh new kids on the block and then my and then my brother um was into like Faith No More and Guns N' Roses. So I every room I went into, I got a different taste of something and I kind of learned to appreciate all of it for what it was. I never had any like bias or anything like that, depending on who I was hanging out with, you know. So I was always kind of just attracted to music in that way. Um, and then I had kind of got put on to like the hardcore and, the underground scene by my older brother. Um, and I was really young. I must've been about 10 or 11 and it just kind of flipped my whole world upside down. You know, I went to my first show and I was like, I don't know how, but I want to continue to be a part of this. And, uh, I didn't really know what that was going to be until I discovered Limp Biscuit, um, summer 98, I mm. believe it was, or maybe it might've been summer 97. Um, but, uh, yeah that's when i discovered that band and i was like all right i think i I think i know how i'm gonna get myself in, into this world and that pretty much was the genesis i guess of me wanting to do music um was was all that so
0: what about yeah, the always- what about the hardcore show drew you in like i mean for a lot of outsiders the first time they go to a show it's it's quite an enigma it's really chaotic it's you know there's all this shit going on in front of you but was it the energy was it the sense of community was it the outlet of anger what about it drew you in
1: well um being that i was so young i, I must have been at the best 11 years old at my first show and i was very excited about this band called one King down oh yeah um, i believe that was headlining and they're my favorite band at the time um i still love them today but um you know that was one of the bands that really i really learned all the i learned all the lyrics and everything and uh when i saw people were jumping up to the singer to grab the microphone i was like i gotta do that i was like and i i knew there was a big sense of danger because all these kids that were you must have been like 19 or 20 right these kids at the show were all kicking each other's ass and going crazy and shit and i i was like fuck it i'm gonna do it so i got the courage and it ran up to the front of the stage and I remember getting the microphone and singing along to the parts, and there was a whole crowd of people, kind of like putting ar- like their arms around me so I don't get crushed. You're just kind of looking <laughs> out for me, which is you know really cool. And then um, when one king down was over, um, I was with my brother who brought me to the show, and he went to go see his friends, and they were like talking to him, like, "Hey, was that you who grabbed the microphone?" And he goes, "No, that was him." And he pointed at me, and I saw them kind of like both, like, "Whoa, like, it went really like." make this kind of face like damn i didn't think that was possible and i didn't know at the time what that was but i was like i just got noticed for something yeah. how do i do that again <laughs> so i i didn't i didn't um initially want to sing in a band or anything i wanted to just be in a band i didn't know what and i tried playing bass guitar uh and i realized i was a not good and b wasn't having any fun so it was that it was literally around that same time, maybe within a couple months that summer, probably when Limp Bizkit played um NTV Beach House. And I was just like, who the fuck is this? And it kind of just that was, you know, ever since I just had a, ever since that moment, I just was a plan A kind of person. Um, yeah, that really did it for me. So
0: how old were you when, when that was? Because that, that was really the height of the new metal buzz 98 98 was the kind of height of it how old yeah, were you? i was 12 okay all right so fuck you were you were getting into that style really young what was the you know some people have the reaction from families as in you know oh it's got awful loud obnoxious music but what was your family's reaction to you know this little young kid that's rocking around listening to you know one king down and then limb biscuit and all of this kind of stuff
1: um you know, my, my parents are, uh, open to a, uh, to a certain point, you know, they let me be a freak, whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know, to a degree, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't like a really, I wasn't a bad kid necessarily growing up. I was really reserved and very sheltered. So the most badass thing I would do would like play my music too loud, you know? <laughs> so, um, that was pretty much, uh, a kind of like, it was accepted, you know, uh, that I was doing whatever it was that I was doing, whether they thought it was a phase or whatever. So um no one ever had any concern. It wasn't really affecting my life negatively. So my parents were cool in that way. They weren't like, you know, how could you listen to this? You know, we'd forbid you or anything like that. Um I mean I mean especially a band like One King Down, if we want to break if we want to even go deeper into that. I mean that, that band has a really positive message. Um yeah. so
0: they're they're, um, they're yeah. one of those they're one of those hardcore bands that were doing the message that was you know very positive at the time um yeah you you touched on something there about bass um was bass or were instruments a thing in the household and why why did you start bass was it you know no disrespect to a bass player but guitarists say it's the lazy version of the guitar because it's one you know a couple of (laughs) strings less so why well, my, why my, a bass?
1: My brother, uh, yeah, my brother played bass, and I obviously looked up to my brother a lot. Anything that he was into, I would gravitate towards. It's how I discovered a lot of music and a lot of bands, and he opened the floodgate for me to that entire world. Um, so I was like, okay, if my brother plays bass; I could probably do that too. You know, why couldn't I do that? And then I I had a, a chance to play for my school band as the bass player, and then I realized. That I just this is not the vibe. This is not exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to accomplish here. And um, again, it, it must have been that that same gear that summer uh, that uh, I discovered Limp Bizkit, and it was just like, oh, okay, I see. I'm like, I, I, it, it, just, it was a very aha moment for me. Um, I always look go back to that as like the, the thing that really it sparked the flame that you can't extinguish, kind of thing, you know. So.
0: What drew you in about Limp Bizkit? Was it the, the swagger and the attitude and the zero fucks given by Fred, or was it just a bit of everything well, that the band was doing?
1: Well, first off, it's the music. Mm. That was the number one thing, was how good the band is. Uh, I was like, wow, this is a, abrasive and energetic and just everything I want in a band. And then on top of that, they just seem to be kind of counterculture to what it seemed like a lot of other traditional bands would do. You know, that's kind of the the vibe I got um i feel like they were doing something a little more unique in general and obviously looking if you look at west borland he's like wearing a bunny costume and shit and i was like this shit is just fucking crazy right this shit is dope um so i was instant fan you know from that moment um i mean actually i was a fan before that funny enough i actually had the first time really heard limp biscuit was counterfeit dj lethal remix at like three in the morning the video came on mtv and I ne- I'll, that I was like, who, I remember watching the video and then forgetting who the band is, not being able to remember who it was, but always having the song in my head. And it was only a, a short time after they came on TV, and I was like, Oh, there, that's that. There it is. There they are. That's the <laughs> band I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, so uh, always been a fan. Always will be a fan.
0: So you, you said, you know, once you saw that, you decided that's really what you wanted to do. You know, you want to be the man with the microphone, how did you go about kind of going down the path of being a vocalist? Did you kind of just wing it and develop your technique and style as you went, or did you kind of look into a bit of lessons, some teachings, some tutoring? How did you go about it?
1: Oh, no, I I have no formal training really, especially when it comes to the, um, the beginning of me wanting to do stuff like that. I just would spend a lot of time as a kid, Uh, in my basement, like just playing records and and emulating the singers I would hear like trying to sound like the people on the albums. Um, And that was a pretty much my main hobby for years until I decided, like, I want to do my own band. You know, I want to have my own music. And um, yeah, and even then still, it was kind of like an emulation kind of thing. I was kind of just doing what I thought felt right. And um, even my voice now, as much as I as much as it's it's nice to hear people say I have a unique voice and this and that, which I think everyone does, but I'm still pulling so much from my inspirations as a child. You know, like things that I really enjoyed in music, I try to implement that now still. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of like I'm just lucky enough that I was paying attention, you know, and I had an interest in that stuff to so I- where. Um, i guess i don't know obsessive almost
0: yeah but i think that's i think that's natural for for anyone that goes into that line is they they do look up to someone or they aim to achieve the same things that they they idolize and they they enjoy over the years with your vocals has there in it has there ever been a moment that's been scary where you've lost your voice you know Out in the press, we know that Ollie Sykes has lost his voice and things like this. Has there ever been a moment for you where you've had to step back and kind of relearn and retrain yourself with your vocals? Because anyone that doesn't do screaming vocals, they need to understand that you're doing something that your body's not naturally supposed to do.
1: Right. Well, the best way to describe what I'm doing is pretty much like it's like singing, but the most extreme version of that because your vocal cords when you're screaming are actually slapping together mm. uh as opposed to when, when you're talking or when you're singing like you know a melody like a normal singer right your vocal cords aren't slapping together they're actually waving together you could you could look it up on YouTube. There's people, there's like videos of people speaking. You can see the vocal flaps. They touch each other gently, mm. but when you're yelling, they're literally smashing on each other. So it's like the most extreme version of using your voice. Um, in terms of what happened has happened to my voice, yeah, I've had all kinds of stuff happen to my voice. I've lost my voice uh, a bunch of different times. Um, uh, you know, I, most uh, extreme. Um, issue I had with my voice was in 2015 uh, when I actually had done some uh, I had pushed my left vocal cord to a strenuous point to where um, the blood cells could not get to it fast enough for it to heal so I eventually um, after much after many different doctors and people telling me that I had to find a new career I finally got the right doctor who was able to kind of figure out what was going on, and it actually took a steroid injection into my left vocal cord to allow it to finally get the blood or necessary blood cells or whatever to it to heal. So um, that was a really trying time, and I had no idea what was going to happen to me if I could ever be in music again or use my voice and stuff. And in terms of um, recuperating, shit, I mean... I don't know i just my whole theory has always been that as long as what i'm doing feels good then i'm doing something right Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what i continue to do with my voice i don't i don't do anything that makes me feel like this could be damaging to me or um you know makes me feel uncomfortable in any way so that's kind of been my sweet spot uh it definitely was a slow process between healing and getting back on the microphone Uh, but you know, with enough time, you can heal any muscle, you know, you just need to, uh, be very, um, dedicated to that process. And I believe you can fix anything, you know, especially I was very lucky to have youth on my side. I'm still young enough to where if I hurt myself, I can fix it. You know,
0: does it ever, does it ever, you know, step into your mind when you're on stage? Are you overly cautious of pushing yourself or are you kind of, once you're (laughs) in the moment, you just go with it?
1: No, I'm not overly cautious. I actually, I aim to have a good time on stage. That's my number one thing. I want to have fun. And if I'm having a good time, then it's very um, more like most, more, more likely the audience can have a good time, too. So that's where my that's usually where my, my head is at. Um, I've come to a place with my performance that I don't feel uncomfortable on stage. I mean, I have my nights where maybe I didn't get enough sleep or something. And i uh, like, shit, I could have sounded better. But I don't. You know, I'm human, so I don't really uh get too hung up on that. Um but uh otherwise, yeah, it's it's pretty much I like go up there just have a good time. Uh people there's gonna be people who think I'm great and people who think I I suck. And I can't really decide how that happens, so I just try <laughs> to have a good time with it, you know.
0: Well you you can't not everyone's gonna love you, I think, no matter what yeah, walk of life yeah. you're in. Um You're now, telling me I wanna go back to before we start getting into some Amua stuff, you know yeah. Limp Biscuit was as I mentioned earlier, the height of new metal, um, anyone that knows your Twitter, your, you've got new metal in there and your Twitter handle. So was new metal really your thing growing up or did you kind of delve into it for a bit? And then you kind of went in every other direction. Cause I know you're a lover of all music. So basically what I'm saying is, was new metal, the launch pad for you into everything?
1: Well, thing is like when I was young, g- genres weren't really a focus for me. Mm. like, I don't, I didn't even know the term new metal existed until like way later. Like when people started to tell me like, Oh, like that's new metal. Like People would tell me that's what it was. I'm like, Oh, that's what you're calling it. Okay. All right. I can understand that. And I do understand that now still, because to me, the term just means advanced. It mm-hmm. means a sound that was in place taken to a new direction, a different a different space in general. And Mm -hmm. I I believe that to be true. I think that the tone and attitude and the kind of riffs and songwriting that bands like Il Nino, 40 Below Summer, uh, you know, Taproot, I want to say Corn and Limp Biscuit, but, you know, just the the bands that I think were taking that sound and rolling the ball, um, to me, were doing something that was aggressive, but it wasn't like, it wasn't just your typical um how could i put this it wasn't like just some beat down or you know trying to be abrasive for the sake of it it was like there was some really great songwriting and really groovy parts and things that you could easily attach yourself to um and i'm a fan of that kind of music in general i mean not that i don't appreciate abstract or avant-garde kinds of music because i do but um like, if I can listen to something and I instantaneously feel it, that's a good song to me. I don't care what genre it is. You know, so, and I think that in new metal in general, they accomplish that with a full five piece band with guitars and drums and aggressive vocals. So, um, I don't know how far I went off the tangent here with your. No, your but I,
0: I've i got to say, big props for the 40 Below Summer shout out. Fuck, such an oh, underrated yeah. band, dude. Oh,
1: Absolutely
0: that that album when i first discovered that blew my fucking mind the fact that they had that song i think it was sideshow where it gets to about the two and a half oh. minute mark
1: oh yeah <laughs> oh. especially the early version of that song was yes. different versions of that song but the early like pre-pro or pre-album version is so good <laughs> yeah it's really sick
0: now amua some people may know or may not know it you know, you kind of joined the band around the age of 16 and um, it was all done through kind of like, am I right in saying like blog connections or like, you know, like a music hookup kind of website. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Message boards. Like before, like before social media existed, it was just all message boards and email. And I would scour the internet for people that, wanted to be in a band that i wanted you know of a, a sound that i was going for and i was listening to like chimera and fucking poison the well and you know so many fucking bands um but uh i ended up connecting with some kids from connecticut on a message board who were like yeah um send us a demo and i had been so <laughs> so lucky to have even recorded a demo uh a year earlier with a band that i um tried to start which was really bad wasn't that's no redeeming value whatsoever but the recording was good so um i sent that over to them and they were like you have to come you have to come and meet us tomorrow and so i was like fuck all right i and i being my whole attitude at the time was i don't care where I have to go, or what it takes, I'm going to follow this dream of mine. I'm going to go all the way with this. It doesn't matter where it takes me. And it just so happened it took me to Connecticut, which was at the time for me uh, a three hour trip from Ooh. my from you know from from point A to point B, where I'd have to get picked up at a train station. And then driven another 30 minutes to where we would rehearse or whatever. So, uh, you know, I pretty much just begged uh, my, my parents, like, yo, just give me this X amount of dollars to get over here. Um, this is really important to me. And uh, my parents were being so cool. we like, you know, and also kind of at, at, like, at odds with me, like, all right, whatever here, you know, like not even <laughs> really trying to have an argument. Um, so... Yeah, that's kind of how I got involved in terms of starting the band. Was like, yeah, like, like you were mentioning, pretty much just message boards online. So you're still. Social.
0: You're, have you finished high school at this stage, or are you still in the process of finishing high school? Like you're 16, are you you're roughly that age, or?
1: Oh yeah, I gave up on school. I was like, fuck this. Wow. I at that at that at that point, I was so far gone. I did not. I had given up on like all that stuff. I just rebelled as hard as I could. Pretty much
0: so Um, that sounds like why your parents were just like yeah look we're not going to cause an argument here whatever it's going to take just you know if it's going to keep you happy kind of thing
1: yeah pretty much i mean they could tell in my voice that i was like this is so important to me and i it was rare that i would ever talk to them about anything you know that i wanted to do so um yeah i got lucky pretty much and then uh that was the, that was it. That was uh, the downward spiral. That never that never ended. Here I am now.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was downward spiral. I, I don't think it was downward. Right, is right. It? Um, So you guys kicked off, you know, in two thousand six with an EP but I really feel like everyone started to get to know you guys, which was understandably because you were on a label, was goodbye to the gallows. How did the initial mm-hmm. hookup with Victory happen? Did you guys shop around for that connection or did they approach you?
1: Well, um, we actually had submitted to every single label possible and everyone was pretty much like, nah, no, we're not interested. Or like they tell us like, yeah, like, is this something you guys really want to do? And we'd be like, yeah, 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 for sure. And they'd be like, all right, well, we're not interested anyway. And then we just kind of had to run around like that for a long time. And then what happened was um, we were uh, actually approached by uh, an indie label called This City is Burning that was based out of California. And we hadn't been to the West Coast yet. We had fans out there that wanted to see us, but we hadn't been there yet. So they were like, look, we want to sign you guys for for your EP, The Complete guys on Needlework. But what we're going to do is we're going to give you an advance, which is going to cover your gas money to get out here to California to play some shows and to sign the deal and make it like, you know, an announcement and a show announcement and kind of, you know, build up the brand of the label. Right. So we're like, yeah, cool. This sounds great. So on the way, th- before we even leave, we get an email from Victory Records saying, we want you to come showcase for us. Ooh. And I don't think we ever submitted for, for Victory Records ever. I think that they had just caught wind of us because we had a little online buzz. And they were like, Yeah, you should come play for us. So that's what we did. We took the money from this kid that we were using to get to California anyway. And on the way to California, stopped in Chicago to um do a showcase for victory records and tony Brummel was there and all of the at the at the time the staff that was there for victory watched our band we played for like played three songs or whatever they were like okay cool we're gonna go talk about it and uh you'll hear from us and we're like and we're just sitting there sweating like what just (laughs) happened like do they like it like is this is is this good and then um they came in maybe less than 10 minutes later like okay we're gonna send you guys a deal cool. and we were ecstatic um you know it was a such a such a huge moment to get that validation you know finally because everyone had been closing their door on us you know so um they had gave us a what was it a th- three record deal i believe hmm. um and so we took we took the con we took that um you know whatever we we took that trip to california and while we were there we signed away the ep and then in, in the same week we got the victory records contract and then yeah that's how it all came together
0: it's quite a it, at that time you know i don't think a lot of people who maybe are in their younger years understand but at the time victory records around 2007 were a big deal i mean that's a that's a big label to land on at the time They'd they'd had quite a back catalogue going on. Um, And it really, you know, that's how I heard of you guys because I was the kind of person that, I'm in my mid-30s now, so anyone that remembers a CD store is probably a bit rare, but I'd go in and based off the label and the artwork is how I'd buy a lot of my albums. And I remember seeing you guys were on Victory, saw the artwork, I was like, yeah, I'll give this a go. Do you think that label was essential for the Kickstart to make a name for yourself such early on in your career,
1: uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I definitely kind of took us to that place where now it was like, okay, when Amir plays, they're headlining. That's just mm. what it became. No matter where, didn't matter what show, what bands, oh, Amir is on, they're headlining. It's a on victory. We were getting like the commercials on TV and the and victory. I gotta say, um without and this is not to gas them up or whatever it's just they are so good when it comes to inde- independent promotion mm. uh, at, uh yeah I, you, you have to give them the credit where it's due if it wasn't for their um their system in place of how they break bands mm. especially when it comes to our scene uh, yeah, I don't imagine Amur would be, would be where it was today if it wasn't for all of that. You know, they they are the ones who gave us the budget for the music videos and the first album, and you know, it's, yeah, it's a, what we would have just been spinning spinning the wheels probably if we hadn't gotten that deal. So, um, yeah, it was it was kind of like a like most things in life, a beautiful accident, you know.
0: And how was that for you with kind of pressure and expectation? Because as you said, suddenly it was like okay, Amur, the headliners you know, suddenly out of nowhere, you know, very young, very early in your career, suddenly it's, okay, you're up there, you're you're at the top now here, and you've got to deliver, was there any, you know, was it a sense of, I've got this, I'm just going to deliver it, or was there any sense of, ah, shit, Ben, I'll fuck this up, you know, that sense of worry at all? No, I was
1: never worried, I was... I was more anxious and excited. And I felt like I had so much to prove um, because in has always struggled and I've always struggled for people to kind of give us the cosign, you know, mm. be like, okay, yeah, we fuck with you guys, you know, like since forever, you know, it's always been an uphill battle. So I always took that as kind of motivation to step it up in every direction. so um, when it comes to, when it came to us playing or um, doing a new album uh, my attitude, especially then, was just like I'm going for fucking blood. You know, this is this is for keeps. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that was. It was never a sense of like, like you were saying. I never was like concerned or worried about how things would pan out. I just was so hungry to do my thing. That's all I, I could really focus on.
0: Uh, how was the time? You know, your second album, Respect Issue. At this time, are you starting to see bigger tours. Uh, bigger fan bases bigger attention because if you look at the discography of you guys it's slowly you've grinded away and the momentum has got bigger and bigger with each one but was it this time around the second album or was it more around maybe speaker of the dead that you guys really saw that you know you were a name to be reckoned with because this kind of scene that we're talking about you guys were able to keep going while a lot of bands came in, did an album or two and dropped off.
1: Yeah, we definitely had um, dexterity on our side. We were all, as as a group, so stubborn and so vexed and fixated on making the band work that there was no way we would ever stop, you know, even with all the, internal turmoil Mm. and just drama that was existing in the band we all still were just like this is what we're fucking doing no matter what um and so we never steered away from that but in terms of noticing people recognizing the band and i guess a sense of like yeah there's like some success happening here um you know we've we're definitely we're blessed to see um more and more people get into the band as time went on i can i consider speaker of the dead to be a very pinnacle moment for the band uh that kind of like i don't want to say the word peace because i just just my own ego i'm not going to say because i don't think that's necessarily (laughs) true but uh we definitely had so much attention so much love coming from all directions when that album came out that it took us to a place that we didn't even know if we could top it at that point um so uh i think that now looking back then it's like i think emir that's like eight years ago now it's like emir has entered this realm of like we're a band that like we've reached like multiple generations now you Mm -hmm. know it's taken like that long you know so um yeah it's a cool feeling man. it's it's cool that there's kids who consider like speaker of the dead to be our best stuff and it's also great to be doing something the same thing but in a new space where people are like yo i, I can't believe i never heard of you guys before you guys are fucking amazing and that's like one of the best feelings it's like wow our newest album is uh, is your first Emir album and now you're getting to discover all this old stuff and you appreciate that even more so um it's a cool it's a cool fucking thing that's cool journey in general well,
0: i think i think speaker for uh speaker of the dead was also the time that you you guys didn't stay in a rut you know you started to incorporate a bit of different sounds so now the listener came in with you know a new sense of excitement you know it, a lot of bands can keep doing the same thing but obviously you guys didn't want to do the same thing and you look that now on the most recent album look at yourself again you know there's There's all the trademarks you expect and then there's, you know, a lot of left turns and right turns that you go, oh, fuck, I wasn't expecting that. Is that always something for you you want to do? You want to keep people on their toes or do you feel like sometimes the pressure to just do what you are known for is higher?
1: Well, I have more fun. Doing what I'm known for—that's mm-hmm. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> I, I, that to me is more exciting because that—that's my—that's my element. That's where I shine through the most. So um, I could experiment and do stuff that I'm like, kind of like, eh, you know, maybe that works, huh? <laughs> Try it out. But when I come through with something that I'm like, yo, that feels good, that's heavy, that's an awesome vibe, then that's the direction I go in, you know. And, and whether or not that pleases fans. You never know, because I personally think "Look at Yourself" might be the best Emir album, yeah, in general, to date. Um, and that has so much to do with working with Josh and my own progression as a songwriter and everything. So I think that's the this right now is the best version of the band. But um, but you know, back then, but in general, every album has been a different process. So uh speaker of the dead with joey sturgis has a lot to do with like a of course how it sounds and b all of those new elements that people are like wow this is a step forward for the band you know it's not just riffs and screaming and breakdowns there's actually some uh, ambience happening and mood happening within the songs that wasn't there before so uh, speaker of the dead is definitely a very good album like it's it's tons of tasty Heavy parts happening, memorable lyrics. Um, so yeah, I, I totally see why people gravitate towards it, or, or you know, feel like you were saying that it's like there's more happening sonically. So
0: oh, it's a sec- it's a sexy fucking album. But so is I also completely agree. I think look at yourself is definitely to date the best one, and that's exciting because was it a worrying time for you to suddenly? You know you did eternal enemies, things happened within the band that happened. I don't want to talk about them, but you know you're suddenly are you sitting there and thinking, "Do I keep going you know was there ever a moment of will there be another album
1: well um it's funny uh what can motivate you in life because I think up until that point, E. Muir and even myself included, we all kind of lost that hunger that like desire to top ourselves or like, I don't know, or like make it more than what it is. Um, so it kind of became stale and that had a lot to do with the, the, the very much internal cancers that were growing Mm -hmm. that just were not getting, getting, get caught in any healthy way, obviously. Um, but, uh, anyway so yeah i mean when i when everyone had quit in 2015 i was just like well this is this is another moment for me to prove myself that's what i saw it as and so that's pretty much what my whole attitude was about the whole process was like i don't care what i have to do to make it happen i'll make it happen you know and, and i guess that comes from when i was even younger like i said before that was my attitude when i first started the band So here I am, how many years later, like in that same frame of mind, like, okay, whatever I got to do, let's make it happen. And I pretty much lived next to my phone for two weeks. Like, I just, I would, I I remember being in my apartment in Brooklyn and just obviously all that shit's crashing down at me at once. And I'm like, fuck, I got to make it through this. And so I was just every day making at least 10 to 15 different calls and texts all day, different people, whether it would be, putting the lineup together or getting the material ready or continue or even just having conversations about the band existing at all. And that was my life for two weeks straight. Now it was pretty much like sleep phone all day, sleep phone all day sleep. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, so did I ever doubt it? No, I just, uh, I just wouldn't accept no pretty much at that point. Yeah. That was my whole thing.
0: It does have to feel weird in, I mean, that was 2017 that, Nowadays, people find it necessary to go and air out their dirty laundry or their opinions, whatever they may have been, towards you because it's one of my problems with social media and the press in general is the the picture that people were trying to paint of you at the time. Um, I don't yeah. think was fair. So I think it was really exciting with Look At Yourself because it was kind of a point 2.0. You guys also signed up to a new label. You joined Sharptone. Um, why the change of label suddenly? Was it kind of literally, you know, fresh band, fresh start, let's get a new label?
1: It, it's, yeah, it's, it's more a political thing than anything. It's just like we wanted... First of all, our contract with Victory Records was over, so it wasn't like we jumped ship or anything. We just were free agents, um, and Nuclear Blast, it, coupled with the new venture they're taking, because Sharptone is really a subsidiary of Nuclear Blast um, yeah. for the America. Uh, so, you know, it was a chance for the label to have a great launch band, and, a, and a prob- most most likely and probably, and I would say, of course, thankfully, a big release as a big release for the label being our new album. So it was a, a mix of just politics, good position, a relationship that had already existed with Nuclear Blast, because they wanted to sign the band for, like, forever, since, like, 2006 or something. So... Uh, they finally got a chance to do that with the new partnership, yada yada. I think I, I think I send that part up pretty good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you then you guys, you know, have spent since that release, you guys have been, you know, pretty much healthily on the road, still back on the grind, um in twenty nineteen, you know. I know that there's been some things that you've said. You know, you're in the writing process, but is it going to be a new album or something this year, or maybe are we a little bit further on for something new?
1: Nah, we're aiming at a 2020 release for a new album. Me and Josh just started putting like some rips together, and we're we're gonna we're gonna get down to writing a lot a lot more in the next couple of months. So. Yeah, uh, don't expect anything new this year. If we put a new single out this year, it would be a treat, but I don't I would say don't plan on it. It's we're very far from that.
0: Now, wanted to talk a bit about some few other things that, you know, you're someone that's been in the game for a while, and one is the way the record industry has changed. Um going from a time where you know, it used to be about getting those magazines and looking in them or getting an inlay and looking who the band thanks to nowadays, going on your phone and it's all there and it recommends them for you. Where do you see the industry nowadays? Do you see it in a positive light? Do you think we're still learning or do you still miss the way it used to be?
1: I think the old model has obviously suffered because owning physical music is like a novelty now like mm. there's no really no reason for it um uh you know which uh it, it, this is this is how i view it it's like the artist has more power now mm. that's great uh i think with media in general what's going to happen is that more artists are going to put a paywall in front of what they're doing I, it hasn't happened yet uh, but it happens in a small structure. Cause obviously there's like subscription based, you know, streaming service and stuff like that. But I think in general, that's eventually going to happen. I think that music and just has become such a commodity um, that the, like you were saying, like, you know, just the, having to be in magazines and all that stuff is like, it's kind of absent, like magazine, like Instagram, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you could be a fucking, like you could literally be a famous meme and then have a, like a career, <laughs> that's not even a joke it's it's crazy but it's you know so it's like um it's fuck it's definitely it's interesting uh do i miss the old stuff it's like i don't know if i miss it i'm nostalgic for it i like it still i'm like wow this is so cool to me you know because i can appreciate it on that level where this was at the time a a norm it's uh but um I think again, it's kind of cool that the artist has so much freedom and power now, and they can really do their own thing without having to worry about having um, like a huge machine behind them, you know, to kind of catapult their career. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into the success of a person. It's, you know, the, the variables are so fucking large, <laughs> so not everyone's going to get to have that 15 minutes they're aiming at. But in general, even if you don't really get they've reached those heights there's still so many levels to it you know there's still so many ranks within this industry that you could exist in you know um you're always going to want to have the best opportunity but there's only so many hands that you can shake at once bro just that's just yeah, reality yeah. <laughs> it is so and what about
0: um, yeah what about with you know the way the heaviest scene, do you think it needs to learn a bit from the hip-hop kind of culture with um, being relevant? I think one of the things I think bands are now uh, struggling with is staying in people's attention, you know. There's that worry that if you don't drop a new T-shirt design or a new music video or a new single every couple of months, you might be forgotten, but then you look at the hip-hop culture and they can drop a single continually every couple of months, and that's just what they do. There's no stress on it. They don't need to drop a full album. Um, where do you see about staying relevant and staying in people's eyes in the heavy scene?
1: Well, I'll say this. The youth being the, the, the youth, like the kids, they decide what the fuck's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you, could do, you could do whatever the fuck you want. You could put a, a new song out every week, new T-shirt every month, whatever, bro. The youth gonna decide, man. They're gonna tell you if they fucking like it. So, um, people should just—I think anyone should just focus on making their content as true and as pure to them, and people will dedicate themselves to it. Like, there's because I mean I'm I'm saying that as a music fan, straight up. Mm. I could find an artist, and if he fucking makes me feel a certain way, I'm gonna follow you, bro. I'll end up buying it. I'll end up buying a shirt. I'll end up buying a ticket. I'll end up paying for some shit I like because you put it out. You know, like, it'll happen, you know, but you gotta fucking, gotta come at that content. I think the idea of relevancy is so, it's, oh man, it's such a, it's a slippery slope, bro, like, Mm. because there's the internet, the fucking internet changed everything. You could have your own fan base, what the fuck is relevancy? If you got, if you've got 2,000 people a month that are on your Patreon, what the fuck do you call that? That's not relevant, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) like i don't know you know what i'm saying like i don't know how, what the fuck do you i don't know how to really look at it you know it's like obviously everyone wants to have the spotlight on them but it's kind of like it's kind of a bullshit thing to to focus on though you know what i'm saying like I, that's my advice to artists you know like hey it'd that'd be great if you had a new song but guess what is your song good
0: yes <laughs> let's man. worry about
1: it being first you know and then put something new out and i don't know that's my may hey, hey. hey maybe i'm a dinosaur maybe i'm a dinosaur for thinking that but I believe in that because I don't – because I – I don't know. Maybe it's because of my age or whatever. I mean I exist on the internet just like everybody else. But there's only so much I'm really going to like dedicate my time to. And I, I consider myself to be a purist in what I enjoy. So like, you know, I, that's just me though. I'm gonna saying other people have not think that way. I, think saying, you I, hit the, I know for me, you I'm very the, selective, you know.
0: You hit the nail on the head, man. I think it, the phrase that people need to remember is quality over quantity. You can – You can have 400 songs, but if only two are fucking worth playing more than once, then what's the point of having 400 songs? Um, It should always come down to quality.
1: Yeah, I mean, with rap though and hip hop, they're just existing in a different space, though. You know, like that's just what they do. It's not even really like a necessity or like uh whatever. Like they're not like doing it because like hey, like if I don't, then no one cares. They're just. It's almost like water to the real ones to the people who are really putting on music all the time like that it's not a job they're just that's what they do that's what it is and i, I really respect people like that I, I totally think it's fucking dope but i don't think the metal scene needs to worry about that shit or try to be like that honestly that's my take on it i think that we as a as a genre and as a sound have established ourselves very deep um just you need to have just make it worth something you know what i'm saying like the all, all the all the all the cream of the crop bro Right to the top, you know what I'm saying? It's
0: that yes. simple. Yes. Yes. Um, another kind of question with kind of music is, you know, you touched on it earlier when we were talking about, you know, the tag of new metal is this whole thing where everyone needs to label something a certain subgenre. Um, you know, it's not this isn't metal. This is progressive, post-hardcore, metalcore. This is gen. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't just say it's heavy music. Do you think? people throwing tags at bands has hurt someone like a over the years?
1: Um, eh, maybe, I don't know. It's possible. I mean, I, I don't really have like, um, what's the word? Like, I don't have that much faith really in other people for them not to be, um, judgmental, you know, mm-hmm. and about, about most things, and which is fine, you know? Um, so if someone says like, Oh, Emir is a deathcore band. I don't think we're a deathcore band, but no. if you want to say that we are, what the fuck am I going to do about it? Tell you to stop? You know, so <laughs> everyone, everyone's, going to just, everyone's going to fucking look at it their own way. And if you're already just going to be like, oh, I'm going to write it off because you said those key words, then I guess I don't need them listening anyway. I don't fucking know. Whatever. It'd be great if they did, but I don't really have faith like that in people. I just think most people just... Are looking in life, and I'm guilty of this too. Instant gratification, mm. whatever makes me feel the most best version of my life at that moment, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to see. That's it, and that's what it is. That's fine. Um, uh, you know, I would. It'd be great if people didn't really, um, in general. And this is a different point of what you're saying. I don't think it's very healthy for people to think they own things. Mm. Uh, just. because are able to label it which i think is what people do when they take something like they're like oh it's this you know it's like you're so you're so confident it's like you don't own it you how could how could you call it that you can interpret it as that you could think you know, Emir's a, a death metal band or not but you can interpret it that way but i think really it comes down to people have like a sense of ownership on it like oh i know what this stuff is i i, I you know i've nailed yeah, it. people don't listen they want no, to- no one wants to to it to ignorance really.
0: Yeah, and they want to justify, you know, if they don't like that sound or whatever they're calling it, they want to be able to justify why they don't listen to it. Um, which is a whole different thing about which I still to this day I cannot understand. For a community of heavy music listeners, we're all about saying we're, you know about being together and being a community, but we're so full of yeah. elitism and division that it's scary sometimes. It's someone sees you at a show and says, oh, that band sucks because of the shirt you're wearing. And you go, I didn't ask for your opinion, and it doesn't matter. You know, I'm in I'm the same gig that you are, man. Who gives a shit what shirt I'm wearing? It's strange.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. Hey, I, dude, I, I know what you're saying, though. It's like when I was uh, coming up playing shows, uh, I used to have all these Atreyu shirts that I liked to wear. And people in my band came up to me and were like, you can't wear their shirts anymore. Yeah. I'm like, what? They're like, you just can't wear them anymore. I'm like, why? They're like, every, they're like, I think four different people are gonna try to beat you up for wearing that shirt. <laughs> and I was looking at them, like, 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 what? I mean, no one ever said anything to me, but I'm sure people were talking shit. I just didn't hear it. You know, mm-hmm. cause I'm living my own fantasy life where I'm just my, who cares about my shirt right but like you're like exactly what you're saying that's not exactly the attitude um, that always comes across but I don't know there's different there's different ways to look at that I think it just comes with a maturity level like there's obviously always going to be immature people who just have not uh, gone to a, gotten to a place in life where they realize those thoughts aren't real and mm-hmm. don't matter you know um, for a lot of people it's just kind of like especially again on a maturity level some people young people I guess will they see something that is that challenges the way they view things and they will just instantly try to way break it down you know so that's a very young person kind of mentality you know yeah it is so, um,
0: I, you perfectly yeah. said man i i just yeah couldn't have said it even better um not much more to talk about um being real it's i really love getting to hear what makes you tick one thing i don't understand i don't really want to go into it but why why do people want to make you out to be the bad guy? Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's weird, Frank. Maybe,
1: yeah. yeah. I, I've, been think, I've been thinking about that for a, a lot of my life, though. It hasn't just been with the band. It's kind of just been, like, my thing my whole life. So maybe it's somewhere in my DNA or something. Did you, I don't know.
0: Did you fuck someone's mum in a previous lifestyle?
1: Like... I mean, I'm still, I'm still fucking everybody's mom, but because
0: <laughs> it's weird, man. It's you don't do, you know. You look at what you do musically and what your career and what people should be focused on, and no, that's not enough for them to look at. They have to spin things in a way to throw shit at you. And, dude, I gotta say, keep doing what you're doing. Fuck the haters and love what you do, man. I don't, I don't. Oh, thank you. It's it, it. really bothers me, man. I, it's not even really a question. It's more of I don't um, understand people that need to manipulate situations into make you into this larger than life. Um, in a way, saying you're Thanos. You know, you're you're an asshole. You're the bad guy. You're trying to destroy everything, uh, which you're not.
1: <laughs> yeah, Thanos is really um, a uh, what's it called? I'm looking for. He's not really understood as a character he's, no, he's got a lot of layers to Him, uh, so yeah maybe I am like that which is fine I mean I've been dealing with that a lot my whole life I, I, I deal with it in ways people wouldn't even probably consider like it, in my day to day you know I just I have that aura perhaps I'm not really sure but um, I believe for the most part I'm pretty benevolent and the people that know that know that and that's fine that's well, enough for me
0: I think anyone that when they listen to this I think you'll be able to tell that there's nothing Nothing bad about you. You're a dude.
1: No, You're a dude. No, 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 no. They're still going to hate me. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I don't mind. It's okay. I don't, I'm not angry at them. That's great. Uh, now, I, you know, I don't, I don't I don't worry about it.
0: No, nah, I've got to say, it must just give you extra motivation and extra fire to keep on going, man.
1: For sure. Yeah, it's honestly, it's kind of all just a big funny joke to me anyway. You know, it's people on the internet. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Wow, yeah. <laughs> My, my life is still pretty, pretty alright. Until it starts to really affect my day-to-day, I don't really care.
0: Yeah, the internet, that's its own. The keyboard warriors. they're their own. Great, right.
1: great. It's absolutely fucking great, man. It really is. I'm so glad people are taking the time, man, to give me that real estate. That's just yeah. fucking great.
0: That is actually another way of looking at it. No, There's no such thing as bad publicity. So someone that's never heard of a muir is suddenly going... Who's this dude? Better go and check out his music.
1: Or yeah, or even if they just want to never listen to me ever again and just have me in their brain as something that made them feel <laughs> bad, that's okay too. I don't really. Mind. As still, long as I get a spot somewhere.
0: Yeah, they're still thinking about you. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, wanted to ask you about uh, Street Fighter. You're yeah. a Street Fighter
1: fiend, if I'm correct. Fiend. A fiend. Oh hell yeah i'm a i'm an avid fan i i promote the game heavily
0: now when when did you first was it super nintendo street fighter that you first discovered or when did you really discover street fighter
1: well yeah i uh i my earliest memory of street fighter is definitely playing at home on super nintendo the original street fighter 2 world warrior Mm. and just you know I had a, a older brother in the house that he was pretty much my main competitor. And he was the person that kind of forced me to want to learn how to even understand, not even I wasn't good, but I just wanted to understand I'm like, how are you doing that dragon ball? How, how are <laughs> you blocking that? How? And I taught with his tutelage and my, um, you know, that, drive I have to just not accept no pretty much like, like I'm gonna do it and then we would just play non-stop and uh and even when he wasn't around I would play and you know just play every character beat the game over and over again it was just something I did for fun uh and I always was better than like most people especially when I was really you know at that age being so young I must have been like nine or ten or something I would just school people and like oh I'm so good like you can't touch me blah blah and then it wasn't like until almost 2009 because i just kind of stopped caring about video games in general for a while um in 2009 street fighter 2 became playable online for the xbox 360 and i was like word i'm gonna play this i'm I'm nice and then i realized i wasn't nice i was like oh shit and it made me fall in love with the game all over again because i was like i'm not gonna lose and so (laughs) i'm very, very competitive uh when i want to be so i was just like i'm gonna get good at this game again and that's kind of how it all that's how people know now that i'm so into it because i had always it was always a part of my life um and then it it wasn't for a while and then i kind of like wow i forgot how much i love this and so still playing today um
0: and you do uh, do twitch you do twitch streaming and all that as well don't you
1: I try to. I try to get on there. Sometimes I'm just not motivated to, to play uh, a game via Twitch. Sometimes I'm playing like some other shit that I don't have a Twitch stream like set up for, and I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm like doing it, that's, but it'd be nice to do more. Then
0: that's something. I, I mean, I like I like playing games, but I don't really understand this thing of Twitch. So basically, what you're telling me is that people turn on their phones or laptops and watch other people playing a game
1: yeah yeah and or like they're watching a person like in real time like their cameras on like watching them play the game or not even paying attention to the game i that's what i almost think most of it is i think a lot of people that are famous twitch streamers just for some reason their brand stands out whatever that demographic is so much they cannot stop watching them really? that's great more power to them what's because it can't the game isn't that good <laughs> the good they, they might be at the game but like you're not giving a fuck if they really win or lose you're just you're you're, mo- you're like invested in this person as a just as a whole that's what I that's my actual take on it that's what i really think i think the games sure they might be fun whatever but the twitch streamers that are like making millions of dollars a year are those kinds of people that for some reason people can't stop staring at them that's just what's going on
0: fuck i feel old man i'm 36 and yeah. i do yeah. not understand this. This really makes me scratch my head at thirty six. Going, people watch, people play games. Okay, more power to them. But wow. I'll
1: tell you what. I, I'll watch. I'll watch someone do something on a game or whatever if it is interesting to me. I don't play <laughs> Fortnite. I don't play a lot of like what these big sh- sh- Twitch stream guys play because so. So maybe I got it fucked up. Maybe the game really is amazing, but um, I don't. I definitely. Uh, don't I, did, I for a long time like you're saying didn't understand the appeal and I kind of hate myself for that because I knew about twitch early on and was like I'm not doing that that sounds like too much work for something that I don't <laughs> doesn't interest me or whatever and then now you can do it like so seamlessly and I really should be doing it more but I don't know it's kind of like it's it's inter- video games for me are not something I want to do for other people. I do it for mm-hmm. me that's why I'm playing the games I play. So if I'm actually sharing that with somebody, it's like a very conscious thing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to show people me playing this game that I like for a little bit. I wish I should do it more. I don't know why I don't. I just, uh, I'm playing games that I can't stream. So What game? What games <laughs> what do you I'm,
0: like to play? Like, what do you really play? What are your, you know, I'm, that don't need to be streamed, but you just play them anyway?
1: I'll, I'm playing uh, a few games. I'm playing uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Nice. I'm playing online on Xbox 360, uh, it's like, pretty much the main game, it's, it's, even if I'm not playing, it's on in the background, that's how much I'm playing it. Uh, and then, uh, I'm playing Pokemon, the card game, but I'm playing that online, I'm not, I don't, I don't buy the physical cards, it's a waste of money, and time to me, but, the online game I play, and I recently started playing, Tetris 99, so those three games, are in circulation right now, and, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll stop by like this little bar paid place and I'll see if any, anyone's getting Street Fighter 2 there and I'll hang out there for a little bit. But those three games, like I mentioned, are the ones I take up pretty much all my time.
0: Fuck yeah. Um, what's your Twitch handle for anyone listening if they want to when you do get on? what What is your Twitch?
1: Easy. It's twitch.tv slash Frankie Palmieri. Oh, that's easy. Can't mess it up.
0: That's yeah. real simple. Um, Frank. What we do now is the last part of the the chat, and it's called "Pick Your Poison." And what I do is I got a bit of everything here, and I give you two options, and you pick your favorite of the two. Now,
1: okay. so this is that
0: now, what you're allowed to do is you can explain your answer. Like some people are really concerned that they picked one, so they want everyone to know why. Or you can just roll. Oh, okay. Or you can just roll from one to the next. There's no stress. Sure do you prefer a pizza or a burger pizza okay do you prefer Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway
1: Chinese
0: okay do you prefer chicken or beef
1: Ah man uh I'm just gonna go with beef my life a lot easier I mean chicken whatever I mean I don't know I'm not a huge meat guy so I'm just saying beef just to say beef just so you have something on tape
0: <laughs> do you uh, prefer beer or whiskey
1: uh beer
0: do you prefer going to the cinema or sitting on the couch
1: hmm well i don't i mean really at the end of the day what's the difference right but i guess mm. uh, uh i guess i'll go to the cinema
0: okay do you prefer the beach or the snow
1: Oh my god, I hate both those things. But I'm gonna go. I'm, I guess I'm gonna go a beach though, because I don't have to. I don't have to worry about the beach too much. I can just leave the beach. Snow is more like an all-day problem.
0: Um, PS4 or Xbox? I already know that question.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you this. And this is this is just to be fair with everybody, because I, I know people are fanboys. I'm not a fanboy for either one, but I'll say this: PlayStation nailed it. I think the PS4 is probably the one of the best consoles ever. Everything about it is perfect. Can't say I cannot say that about the Xbox one. There's a lot of things I hate about the whole home menu and the options and everything with just disgusting. It's terrible. The the Twitch stream service on Xbox one terrible. The worst. <laughs> um so I'm going to go with PlayStation just because of that but the Xbox 360 is the only way I could play Marvel Two Online, so that's what I'm doing.
0: Um, Super Nintendo or Nintendo?
1: Super so- Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo is great and has amazing hard games, but um, Super Nintendo is just like a flawless system. has so many gems on it. has it's 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 an endless fun machine. I mean, Nintendo's great, but it's not doing what. Super Nintendo's doing at any capacity. No. Just true. Just fact.
0: Uh, Mega Man or Double Dragon?
1: Uh, Mega Man for sure.
0: Okay. Um, Super Mario or Legend of Zelda? Uh,
1: Legend of Zelda.
0: Okay. Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z? Hmm.
1: Well uh I'll just see Pokemon.
0: Batman or Superman Batman. Terminator or Predator?
1: Um, I guess Terminator.
0: Okay. South Park or the Simpsons?
1: The Simpsons?
0: Uh, Slayer or Pantera?
1: Oh, man. R.A.P. Uh, Vinnie Parr, P. Dimebag, R.A.P. Jeff. Um, wow, I don't know. This is a split. Uh, well, Slayer did make God hate us all, so I'm oh. Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the hardest things of all time.
0: Um, well, I don't think the next one's any easier. Corn or Biscuit?
1: Oh, well, all right. Um, damn, excellent biscuit. The biscuit really, uh, they really did it. They really, they really broke the mold. I mean, I love, obviously love corn, but I think we have enough audio here to prove that. I was going to go biscuit anyway.
0: <laughs> um, last couple. Would you prefer to be in the mosh pit or just behind it up the back watching the show?
1: It depends who's playing. Uh, okay, nah.
0: Slayer's playing.
1: I'll be in the back. I don't care. I'm not going to be in a slayer. There's too many complete animals in there to just just straight up punch you. Not even without, just look at you and just decide they're going to hit you. That's not my kind of vibe.
0: (laughs) Uh, Would you prefer to tour or record?
1: Uh, Damn. I mean, I can can only do one for the rest of my life. I guess tour. If I I couldn't record ever again, I'd be stoked I could tour still.
0: Yeah. uh last one is a triple one it's the only triple one would you prefer to own a cd copy of an album a vinyl copy or have it on your phone
1: depends what it is though uh i mean nothing sounds better than a vinyl record that the actual recording was done analog that's the best sounding thing in the world to me uh so i'm gonna say vinyl just because of that reason if I had to you know,
0: have an album like that. Um, great answers, man. Dude, that's us done. Um, what a fucking legend, dude. I just got to say, just thank you for being a dude about it. So enjoyable to chat to. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it exceeded all my expectations.
1: Cool, man. I, I, I hope that um, everything you're doing with the podcast is successful, bro. And uh, I'll see you, man. Have a good one. You know what you are? You're the Antichrist What? what? Yes, yeah, that's what you are You are the motherfucking Antichrist What more god I A god I'm not a brother being I'm not a son of me. You're awesome so You just can't relate The days I fall, you will never
0: So that was my chat with Frankie from Amua and at the end there you also heard Amua's song Flag of the Beast of their latest album Look at Yourself. So guys now's the time get online get in stores delve into that Amua discography quite a few albums a lot going on there you would definitely know the name but if you haven't given them a chance now is your chance to give them a go. Thank you again, Frankie. I really, really, really appreciated you taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. And that's it for the Mosh Zone episode 56. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, in the fucking can, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Moshstone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.